Welcome to Therapy with Millennials, a podcast where we take our late night talks, aka our own therapy sessions, and put them on record for you to hear. We take a looser definition of therapy, so if you need to seek professional help, please do so. Our main goal is that in sharing our stories, you will relieve some of your tension and you will relate to us. So join us on this journey. Please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and join this listenership. And it helps us know how to get better. So please talk back to us. Hello, guys, and welcome to Therapy with Millennials. I'm one of your hosts, Malia, and I'm joined by one of my best friends, Brittany Payne. Hello, hope you're all doing great and that you've had a great week. So we are deep into, by this point, our Enneotype uh, series, and I am so excited. We found a wonderful eight in our area. We're going to be talking about eights, specifically talking to the lovely Miss Che. But before we introduce her and get to know her a little bit better, we're going to talk a little bit about eights. So we did a series well, not a series, but a couple episodes a while back about eights and the generalizations of eights. So we're going to run over that really quick, and then we're going to introduce our wonderful eights. So eights are often called the challenger, the defender, and the protector. Some of their defense mechanisms are denial, not necessarily denial of life itself or things being wrong, but denial of that they are not, do not possess everything to fix everything that they're trying to control or order. Eights wing nine are called the diplomat, and eights wing, that wing seven are called the challenger. We will get into wings a little bit later in the episode. Eights go to two insecurity, which I love because I'm a two. Sadly, I go to eight in insecurity, so don't know how to feel about that one. And then they go to five in stress, which I would love to hear from our eight about how she deals with stress. So before we get deep into this episode, Brittany, how do you know our eight? So um, Young Che is a now I consider a good friend of mine. And she started out actually as my teacher, um, then became my teacher as in like my employee kind of. And then through both of those experiences, we became friends. Yeah. So we've been friends or known each other as well for almost two, I think two years now. And with that being said, I'm going to let her kind of introduce herself. Feel free to say um, what you want to say. You don't have to give us all your information. You know, if you're willing to say, well, we already know you're willing to say your name, but then age, occupation, things like that. All right. Well, hi. Thank you for having me on your wonderful podcast. Uh, my name is Young Che or Young Chai, and I'm 24 years old. As Brittany mentioned, I do teach. I'm a teacher. Um, I taught Korean with Brittany, but I also teach English pronunciation um, just on the side. My primary job is production specialist, which means I work at a warehouse or I work at a production facility and I make sure the right amount of things get made with the right amount of inventory to get to the right place at the right time. That's basically my job. Um, One more thing I'd like to add is that I am married. That's kind of significant to my life right now. Um, I was married for two years now. And yeah, that's about it for me. So I got to know Young Che. I got to know her more recently because I don't know who convinced her lovely husband to join a play that I was recently involved in, but I got to meet him free the play and because of practices. And so 
she just always attracted me as like a force to be reckoned with. And I would love to get to know her better. I don't know her that well. But she always just seems lovely and very powerful. She carries like a natural power within her when she enters a room. And so I'm just, I've always been attracted to that about you. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you got into Enneagram and if it's been helpful? So I don't know if I can say I got into it. I don't know where I saw it, but I've always liked doing tests about myself. And I always, I love to get to know myself better. I've done MBTI probably every year. Uh, When I was in college, I did it every year because I thought it was important to kind of know myself, uh, understand my own personality. And I don't know how I came across Enneagrams, but I found it one day and I was like, I've never taken this test before and I need to take this test. (laughs) So then I took the test and I was at eight and I told my husband to take it and he's not very interested. But then I think a couple of days later, I met up with Brittany and I told her and she was like, oh, I know so much about Enneagrams. <laughs> so we talked about it. And that was kind of the extent of my journey with Enneagrams. I haven't thought about it much afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I can't say it's helped me. I'm usually, I like to look at my MBTI much uh, thoroughly. Okay. I yeah. love that. I love MBTI. Can you <laughs> tell me a little bit more about your MBTI and how that's helped you? So I'm an ENTJ and basically it tells me that I'm very independent, self-sufficient. I don't like to be told what to do. It's helped me continue to do the things that I want to do because so I feel like in society, a lot of people tell you to get that nine to five and you want stability in your life. But that nine to five to me really sucks Mm. Uh, I really have a difficult time with it and so whenever I feel down about it and I just don't know why I feel so down I look at my MBTI and I'm like this is why Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then I continue to look for things where I can be more independent and do my own thing because I don't disagree with having that stable nine to five I just know that I need another outlet Mm -hmm. for myself to be sane Mm-hmm. And I and I love it that you know more about MBTI than Enneagram, because that's kind of what this whole series is about. It's about whatever has worked for you that you have used that works better, because a lot of the things you're talking about any um, Myers-Briggs wise also work in reverse for Enneagram. Eights tend to feel a lot of energy. They don't typically like to be in a lot of jobs that stay the same constantly or the mm-hmm. monotony of a, the same job over and over again. They talk about feeling surges of energy, especially connected with work and close relationships with family. So I just I find it really interesting that, you know, no matter what typology you're using, it still works effectively for you as long as, you know, you put in the work to learn yourself better. Yeah, we always say the the personality types like I was just speaking to someone about it recently. She was saying her boss was saying, oh, this belief you have, or are you going to use that belief? And she's like, it's not a belief. And that's what we're trying to stress is like, this is not a belief. It's a tool to figure out your own personal growth. And that's what I resonated with. You were just talking about is I like to check in basically on how I'm doing. I'm no psychiatrist, psychologist, all of that stuff. And I'm not going to become one, but I want to know more about myself and how I operate and then how I can understand even others. The Enneagram for me helps me more understand myself and then other personality types a lot of times help me understand 
other people too. Yeah, I got into Myers-Briggs first and then Enneagram. And I feel like Enneagram helps me see the gaps in myself that I don't recognize. And Myers-Briggs helps me see what I'm doing before, you know, before I get into the cycle of doing bad cycles again and again. Myers-Briggs helps me see, okay, what was I doing before I started this really bad cycle? And so that's what I really like using Myers-Briggs for. Going off of great things that we love about our eight, some of those things are your assertiveness, your decisiveness, your independence, you're a protector and an influencer. Do you feel like those terms relate to you? I know I'm assertive and I know if something, yeah, no, I, I agree with all of those things. <laughs> I don't even, I don't feel like I need to explain it. I feel like it's really self-explanatory. <laughs> I think if my husband was listening to this, he would just be laughing so much. I was going to ask in the beginning if like what she was, because res- I could see your face, you know, they won't see your face, but I could see your face as she was describing things. So I was like, this funny. must, <laughs> this must be true. <laughs> Um, just the stubbornness. I know you didn't say stubborn, but like knowing what you want, being really assertive. Um, and I just really believe that I'm right a lot of the times. Um, but also going back to in the beginning, when you explained eights, you were saying that we're in denial when we are in situations that we don't like. And I 100% agree with that. It's not denial where you want to hide. It's denial to think it's denial of, hey, that is not that powerful. Like I can change that, Hmm. that kind of a denial, like not believing that that is going to keep its way. Like I can change it. Mm -hmm. And I I really relate to that because when I'm stressed and even when I'm unhealthy, I, as a two, I go to eight and I've seen it in good ways. You go to to eight and be like, okay, I'm going to be assertive and I'm going to take charge of the situation. But when it's more personal to me and not about other people's stuff, I can be in that deep sense of denial and not acknowledging that, you know, this thing, these other things you can fix, but this one thing you can't fix yourself. You have to either get help or you have to stop trying for a bit and then come back to it. So I found that really interesting. I was going to ask if you relate it to the denial part, because I've heard a lot of eights say that they don't relate to their denial. So Eights are not afraid of conflict. And it says that it, it says that you maybe even can crave conflict. You think it, you can see that it creates intimacy. Do you feel like you've ever, do you feel like you crave conflict or is there a situation, if you have, is there like a situation that you can talk about where you've been like, I want to create some conflict here? I agree with that because the first part of your sentence was, you know, they crave, they like conflict or something. I I think conflict is really good. And I think if, yeah, I do make conflict, especially, you know, in my marriage, I make conflict, but not petty conflict. Mm. I think conflict is really healthy because you get to really dive deep into what you really believe. And it helps you learn a lot about your own opinion as well as somebody else's opinion. So if Joseph has an opinion that's so, Joseph is my husband. If Joseph has an opinion that's different from mine, I will dig deeper. I'll be like, okay, tell me more. And it's not, I don't want to call it starting a fight. And I don't think he thinks I'm starting a fight. I just love to see what is different 
and what is in the core of that. And it doesn't matter if there is no resolution. I just love the process of getting to know more. It, that makes perfect total sense, sense for me. I totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah, actually, as I was, just like I said, as I was listening to an eight podcast before this to get ready, some of it was resonating with me with um, how Malia is sometimes. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so I funny. love eight. Eights make me so happy. Eights, they say that eights tend to advocate for the underdog. I kind of want to mix these two together because I feel like they go a little bit together. Do you feel a need to advocate for the underdog? Have you had a situation where you've advocated for the underdog? And then do you feel like you need to leave a mark? Yes, I do feel the need to advocate for the underdog. I think it goes along with creating conflict. So you don't want to go along with like whoever's winning or whoever, I don't know, is the main person, you always want to bring in some some other element. And that to me is very interesting and very fun. And again, I think we can learn so much about each other through the conflict that it creates. Have you figured out what your mark is? Yeah. I think it's it's different. So if my example is being here, so I'm in Montgomery right now. My example is living here, coming here to Montgomery. I wanted to do something that would make a mark. Even if it's not a big mark, I wanted to be remembered for giving value in some way. And I always think about that, like what is valuable and what value can you give? I think that's very important. So that's why, you know, I sought out some kind of an opportunity like teaching Korean. I love doing it because I felt like it was making a mark. It was me coming here as who I am. And giving the people here a bit of me. Mm. And that is my way of leaving my mark in Montgomery. Mm. And I know for sure if I'm somewhere else, I'm going to do the same thing. It might not be world changing, but it it leaves a piece of me in that place. So I'm curious about, you said making your mark. Um, something that I read about AIDS is that sometimes they struggle with feeling competitive, not necessarily against their other peers, but against yourself. Do you ever find yourself in a cycle of trying to compete against yourself and never really celebrating your your moments of success? I don't feel like that. I think I am very competitive against myself, but I love doing it. A small victories that I have in my life currently is I work out, I've been uh, lifting weights, right? And then I'm always ready to celebrate my new PR um, I, I don't feel like I get myself down because I compete with myself. I always feel great because I compete with myself. So that is one thing I don't agree with. Do you feel like you ever take days off? And if you do, what do they look like? Very rarely. Joseph is, you know, he, when we first, you know, started living together, that was something he learned about me is that my off days are like, days I do a lot at home and they're not really off days and then he'll feel but he, he doesn't he feels uncomfortable because we agreed that today was going to be a lazy day and he's he's being lazy in his own terms and I'm being lazy quotation marks on my terms and it looks different so he feels bad but now I think we've he just knows that like I cannot and I've told him multiple other times I cannot be your kind of lazy. I am my own kind of lazy. 
this is my off day. Let me enjoy it by, you know, doing a lot of laundry and like cleaning my room. (laughs) But I mean, but to me, it's an off day. Mm -hmm. And I learned from, you know, living with my husband that, yeah, my off days look different and my relaxation time looks different from other people's. So I would just say it's different. But to me, it's an off day. Right. You still take that off day. It's just, it's, and we all have that. Like my off days look completely different from my sister who I live with. Her off days. It's like that. We talked a little bit about what an off day looks like. Was it hard for you to initially realize that to other people you don't take off days? So not really, because I think in our society, like being busy, being hardworking, always working is really glamorized. So a lot of people would look at the way I live and be like, oh my gosh, like I wish I was more like you. You're so diligent. Um, And this happened, I realized this when I was in college because I, for four years I lived with a roommate and I lived with four different roommates. So they would always tell me that. And then I would look at them and be like, wow, I cannot live like that. (laughs) um, They were just really relaxed. And like on Saturdays and Sundays, they'd just be in their rooms all day. And I was like, I cannot do that. Wow. Um, And then I married somebody (laughs) who's like that. And it honestly was more difficult for me to accept the other people's resting state. I had to take a step back and be like, no, this is how they rest. That that was very hard. That was something that Joseph and I fought a lot over the first year that we lived together, actually. I just see it as you're being lazy. Yeah. Right. And then I realized I'm labeling his rest time. How unfair. Mm -hmm. Like, how cynical is that? Mm -hmm. And I had to realize that, take a step back and be like, yeah, we rest differently. And just respect that. Yeah. And I don't know if it did for you, but I can totally see how that could create unrest and some bitterness because you're looking at that person and saying, you're not doing anything. Why aren't you doing something about this? Like, why can't you help me? Why aren't you doing these things? You guys are both terming rest differently, totally differently. Mm -hmm. So for me, just being alone is rest. Like I can be alone, but I won't just do nothing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like he'll, He'll do nothing. I'm like, wow. So that was learning. Like we need to learn about each other. The second part of your question, what can other people do? Just, I don't know if this has more to do with my eight personality or I'm thinking back to my MBTI because I know that. I know that every time I test, it's a little bit different. And the difference is in the I or the E. So Mm. I'm like right on the benchmark between extrovert and introvert. Ah, sometimes I test introverts. Yeah, sometimes I'm I, sometimes I'm E. It might have to do with that, but mm. I just like to be left alone. Mm. I will literally have my phone in somewhere I don't know. I will not talk to anybody, and I just do my own thing. I resonate with that too because I'm in between E and I a lot of times. It's like mm-hmm. almost almost in the middle. Yes, <laughs> me too. Um, normally, I do resonate more with E, but lately with things going on have been more towards I so Mm -hmm. I get that usually mine's yeah leave me alone (laughs) yeah (laughs) and for those of you who are listening who don't know what an amiovert is it's someone who typically is fluctuating between the middle of extrovert and introvert so Brittany and Young Che have both talked about feeling more in the middle I am definitely whatever is extra after extroversion that's probably me 
Um, when that term gets created, yeah, that's what Malia is. I think now I'm going to give you my two situation questions, and this is based off of your, your type. You are at a restaurant and your order comes. It's not exactly wrong, but it's not exactly right. What do you do? It depends on if it's detrimental to my experience. <laughs> Let's say you, let me see if I can be more specific. Let's say you ordered a hamburger and instead of fries, you got broccoli, but it comes out with hamburger and fries. Oh, I would definitely say something like immediately. <laughs> I'm all, I'm, so this has happened to me before, I think, at a restaurant. Because I usually, so if there's fries, I'll try to be healthy, right? And I get the vegetable. But then sometimes they forget, I guess. And then, but I don't, I'm not mad about it. I'm just like, hey, this is wrong. This isn't what I paid for. Mm. So I should get what I paid for. Great. Yeah. So Joseph is also kind of like, he doesn't want to bother them basically. And he's like, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm like, but you didn't, this isn't what you paid for. Mm-hmm. That's another thing with wings. Because Brittany is a seven and she wings six. She does not wing eight. If, I think if you would, were, if your wing eight was stronger, you would assert yourself in those situations. Mm-hmm. But you wing six. Sixes are more reserved. Sixes are more um, scared or afraid of conflict. They don't like anything that might hurt their relationships. Even temporary relationships for sixes are very, very stressful or can be. And so this is another time where wings come into play. Like, my wing is a three. I oftentimes am typed as an eight because my assertiveness comes out and people see that I am aggressive about certain things. So this is a time where wings do matter. So we'll talk. I guess I'll talk a little bit about wings now. Uh, eight wing seven tends to come off very playful, more playful. And then uh, eight wing nine typically is more reserved so their their nickname for the eight wing nine is called the diplomat and the reason for that is typically eight wing nines are very they are pc politically correct they still assert themselves but they do it in a way that is more socially accepted than eight wing sevens sevens will turn around a bad situation by making it fun And the way that they will do that is typically that seven wing, they will convince different people to come to their side. So it's like, I have this agenda. We're going this direction. They see something that's stopping them. And instead of being like, no, we should build this direction. They're like, now this is why this idea makes a lot of sense. And don't you agree? And slowly pull everyone else along so that they become the mother duck (laughs) and everyone is trailing behind them. So wings do matter. And like Brittany's wing is six, like I said before. And so your wings will have a little bit of sway into your personalities. Eight sometimes feel like they don't have wings or sometimes they do. Um, Young Jay, you don't know what your wings are, right? I do not. I think based on your explanation, though, with the eight wing seven versus eight wing nine, I'm more of an eight wing nine. Mm. Yeah. So you have developed, you and your husband have decided we're going to work out together. We're going to eat healthy together, and this is how we're doing it. And knowing you, you have a plan. Yes. You have this. You have this plan. Okay, so you start. You're doing great, and then you find out your husband has like cheated a little bit mm-hmm. on his on his diet on his workout plan. Mm-hmm. You've been going strong, but he's done. He's had a few cheats. 
Mm-hmm. What do you do? How do you feel? I talk to him about it, but I don't feel I'm more of like you do you like, yes, we are doing this together to mm-hmm. boost morale and to make it easier for the both of us. So honestly, I don't really care. Um, I If he was lying about it, then I would be pretty mad but if he was just like oh yeah today for lunch i ate whatever at work then i'd just be i'd probably tease him about it (laughs) and then be like haha i'm winning (laughs) that would be my attitude i mean i don't even have to like imagine this situation because it honestly happened we've been working out trying to um eat healthy lose some weight since january um, Joseph's lost a lot of weight. I haven't, but he cheats more than us. <laughs> it is annoying, but he usually cheats um, or cheats. We're not strict about it, but he'll maybe ha- brought, bring like a healthy lunch, but then all his coworkers are having something else. So then he has that something else and then he'll tell me about it and I'll just laugh at him. <laughs> 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 be like haha i was healthy that's a pretty healthy response so that's good <laughs> so kind of going off of that i'm kind of curious so if that doesn't feel like betrayal what does feel like betrayal if he lies if he lies about mm-hmm. it even something as small yes. as like i ate something different oh yeah big time so so what can you explain to me a little bit what that feels like because I can, I can see and possibly hear some of our listeners saying it's just food it's just a diet why would one time matter i I don't know why, but I am very detail-oriented when it comes to little things. I try not to be, but not so much. I don't really try not to be. <laughs> but so Joseph knows now. He's like, there's if he tells me that um, maybe, okay, this is really petty, but if he said this, okay, this meeting that he's going to go to in the morning starts at 7 o'clock, but it actually started at 7.15, I would say you lied to me. Oh. I can't really explain to you why I feel so strongly that that is a lie, but I do think that's a lie. And if he said, oh, I had a, you know, I don't like to hear, oh, I had a couple beers. I like to hear, I have three beers. Like my mind just doesn't like it. Mm. I need to be able to visualize it completely or just don't tell me. But then if you don't tell me, that's a lie. So you have to tell me the right thing. <laughs> Am I difficult to live with? <laughs> See, and then there's me, who's like, I will tell you unless I don't. If I don't tell you, there's a reason why I didn't need to tell you. That, like, there were mm-hmm. other circumstances that stopped me from telling you. So that's why mm-hmm. I didn't tell you. It's not, I hate lying, too. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. just tell me. Tell me like it is, even if I don't like it. Just tell me like it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, and if I have to ask you more than once and you still haven't told me the truth, oh, the stress is real. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Again, I learned after getting married because, you know, it, it's weird. Like you would think you you would realize this before you get married, but actually when you're married, you get to know somebody so much better. And then I just realized like, wow, I'm very obsessive over details. And if, it's not the correct detail. I get really just like, I don't know if it's anxious. I just, mm. I'm like, why did you say that? Do it's you, not correct. Do you ever ask yourself the question, well, if you hid this from me, what else are you hiding? 
Does that come into your mind? Or is it more so, did you not trust me to tell me the truth the first time? I'm not afraid that he's hiding more. Mm. I'm just more like, I don't want this to be a habit. Mm. So I don't want you to constantly leave out details or just think that the details don't matter. Because the details matter to me. Mm. So it was more like, yeah, I don't want this. I don't want to have to remind you that you have to say the exact thing 10 years down the road. You need mm. to know that by now. So that's why I'm more concerned and I label it as lying mm. rather than oh, I'm afraid that you're lying to me. I don't really, I trust people and I'm, I'm kind of, okay, if you lie to me, I'm, I, I take, I just have no tolerance for that. So it doesn't really, I'm not anxious about it. I'm like, okay, you can lie to me, but I'm not going to like it. (laughs) Okay. As we're like getting towards the wrapping up point, I think we have some fill in the blank questions for you Mm -hmm. or yeah, fill in the blank. Think about it. You don't have to take too long and then just, you know, um, so I have two different ones. I love when I hate when I love when I see opportunity that I can do something really it doesn't have to be big. I just, when I see an opportunity where I can make a difference that I can kind of wedge into and do something with my name on it, I love that. I hate it when I feel powerless. One example of that would be I was really frustrated when I was immigrating here um, because like, I just felt like I had no jurisdiction over anything. And they could tell me, okay, you can't work okay, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't travel, you can't go here. It was just so authoritative, authoritative, and I did not take that well. That was very hard for me. Can you explain a little bit your nationality and how you came to migrate or change your citizenship if you have? Just a little bit more of that backstory. So I'm originally from South Korea. I lived in China for 10 plus years. I moved back to Korea. I met my husband when I was in college and we were dating. He was in the Air Force. So he was going to come back to the States and that was fine with us. We decided to do long distance. Um, And right after my graduation of college, one of our close friends who we had got to know together was getting married. So I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to go to the States. And, you know, he invited me to his wedding. So I went to the States for the wedding. And then I got to meet Joseph's husband. I mean, <laughs> Joseph's family. <laughs> that would have been awkward. Um, you would have broken up a marriage. <laughs> Uh, I met, so I went to their wedding. I met Joseph's family and we hung out, stuff like that. And then Joseph and I decided to get married. So I got married here and then I didn't get a citizenship yet. That's something I'm still thinking about. I don't know if I want to change my citizenship because in Korea, if you don't know, you have, you can only do, you can't do dual citizenship as a Korean citizen. So if I took on the American U.S. citizenship, I would have to give up my Korean citizenship. And I don't really, when I came here, I was absolutely not. I didn't think I would ever consider it. But actually, a lot of people have been telling me the pros of it regarding traveling in and out of the country. And just there's a lot of um, reasons to do it besides, you know, what I thought, which was like patriotism. Mm. Um, There's actually a lot that 
goes into it. So anyways, yeah, that's how I immigrated to this country, uh, the U.S., because I married my husband. How much do you feel like your race, your nationality plays into your type? Me and Brittany have talked about in the past about how race affects our lives. And I can kind of see a little bit how race affects me as a two, also as an ENFP. I feel like I'm a little bit more. Whatever that, whatever is a good thing about my type, I feel like I'm a little bit more of that. Whatever is bad about my type, I feel like I'm a little bit more. And I hear that a lot about Black people as well, that whatever we are, we're just a little too much or a little bit more than other people. Do you feel like your nationality or race plays into your type at all? I have never thought about that. I Before you talked about yourself, your own experience and how you know Black people typically think that they're more amped up, I was going to say, I think you're wrong. Because I, I don't think your nationality or your race will influence something that's what I believe is really innate. You know, I don't think you can, you're born a certain type and then you can change like Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit, but I really believe that it's just your personality. And, you know, I've grown up with like an international community and I, I never felt that. I never, I've never thought of that. Maybe, maybe because I mean, you're telling me about your experience and your own like feeling about it. So maybe, but I've, I wouldn't say so for myself. Add on to that. So I think, I don't think it will change it or uh, anything, but I can share my own experience of I'm ENTJ and eight. Like they're both very like strong, just independent types. Um, living in Korea as a woman in her 20s with that type is not easy. I think it's not easy if you want to really say what you want to say and do what you want to do. You will get a lot of, I won't say hate, people would just not really accept you. People would think that you're weird because of the culture there. Uh, culture regarding women in their 20s. People would think, oh, so a lot of people would tell me like, oh, I think it's because you're really, you were raised in like an international community. So you're really westernized. And I completely disagree with that. I don't think it's because I'm westernized. This is just my personality did not fit with that culture. And I think likewise, um, black women can be termed as the angry black woman whenever we're asserting ourselves or saying anything. And my pushback to that is I can let you know for sure when I'm angry. When you're pissing me off, I'll let you know. But until I get to that point, understand that this is passion. It's not anger. And so mm-hmm. I think sometimes maybe working on terms sometimes helps with understanding ourselves a little bit better. So thank you, Young Jay, for speaking into that. So we are going to close out. We are so thankful to Young Jay for making time in our very busy schedule for us, for being open and candid. And we hope that we can do more of these in the future. Young Jay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Oh my gosh, this was so much fun. Thank you again. You've been awesome. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I'm glad you came on and hopefully we can do some more in the future. And yeah. um, Thank you to our listeners. Thanks again for coming in weekly and listening to us. And if you have any questions about the Enneagram or type eight, please just let us know.
Also, if you're interested in learning more about Myers-Briggs and what all that means, go back to our MBTI episode, learn a little bit more about that, and then re-listen to this episode. It might help you learn a little bit more about yourself, about extroversion, introversion, ambiversion, and how all that works out. We appreciate you guys showing up every week, Friday at 3. Take care. Have a great day. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Therapy with Millennials. To keep up to date on our episodes, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Come follow us on Instagram at Therapy with Millennials or Twitter at T with Millennial, no S. Have any suggestions for the show or want to get in contact with us? Email us at T with Millennials at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you.